Hey listeners, welcome back to the Follow the Hummingbird podcast. It's Ari Goldfarb here. Today I'll be speaking with Carol Beth Anderson. Carol is the author of the YA fantasy series, The Sunblessed Trilogy. Carol and I first met on Twitter this year when we talked about her series and the rapid release schedule that she had. We discussed how writing is like any other business and you need to have the right team in place and the right marketing strategy. She goes into what she did right, the things she's still working on, and where you can get your start if you're interested in pursuing a creative endeavor. Carol Beth Anderson. We met on Twitter. Some thread yeah. was it a thread about authors? I don't remember. I don't know. We got into some conversation about my hair, and I, I and was, kept talking from there. But I don't remember what. Were we talking about branding? That. Yeah, I feel I like I asked so. if it was That's like a right. brand. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, it, it is. It is good hair. It does stand out. Uh, is it just? <laughs> are you always changing it? Are you more of a Ramona Flowers type, or are you? Or is purple sort of something you sit, uh, stick with? Well, I just, I just started doing kind of the weird colors about a year ago, and I went through several, and then kind of came back to purple, and I've stuck with that since then. So purple's a solid choice. I did a, pur- I did yeah. my own purple phase in undergrad, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> actually, sort of similar to yours too, because I didn't go full purple. I just did the front. Right, and I had the short side, so yeah, actually, pretty yeah, pre- yeah, cool, pretty similar Very style. Similar. <laughs> and how how long have you been writing for? I guess I've been writing all my life. Um, I've I started my first novel in April of two thousand seventeen, so a little over a year and a half ago. But I used to blog a lot. I I spent a, maybe two or three years being really consistent as a mom blogger and I had a little writing prompt blog. Um, um, but really, I mean, I've been writing since I was a kid. But, uh, the first published book then was it the sun Less trilogy? Uh, was it the first yes. book? That was your first yeah, published? That's, that's my first, my first one. I got those ready and, um, and rapid released them over the period of about three weeks. What was the response of uh, rapid release? Now I'm actually suddenly remembering how we met. I think you posted about a book report. Oh, maybe so. Yeah. And yeah, how, and that's how right. Built, and it, it does tie in the brand now. You posted about a book report, and it was something like how you just started your indie publishing career, and right. you know these numbers are going to grow over time, but this was a great first accomplishment, and I was curious about the response to your rapid release. So I'm curious about the response to your uh, rapid release. Do you find, as an indie author, your fans um, sort of expect you to release more quickly uh, than traditional because uh, they're giving you their trust by trusting an indie author who doesn't go through the usual stages of publishing that a trad does and in return you're giving them the benefits of not having to uh navigate bureaucracies uh international publishing uh licenses and um distribution stuff like that sure yeah that's a good question um i guess i haven't been doing it long enough to tell if that's the expectation for me but i think in general that's the expectation of indies is that and, I mean, you've got indies that are putting out books every month. I don't think I'll ever be doing anything at that sort of pace. But I think it has helped people to um, maybe to be willing to take the leap into trying my books, knowing that they won't have to wait a, a year for the next one to come out. You know, as soon as the first one came out, they knew that within three weeks, all three of them would be out. And... Um, so I think that's helped. I I heard over and over that it's helpful to have at least three books to release when you start and to go ahead and just bam, 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 get all of those out. And 
the, the problem is I haven't done it any other way, so I can't really compare to say if it worked better that way or not. But, um, but I think it's helped. I, I think it's helped create some buzz. Um, I'm not selling just tons and tons of books, but I think I'm probably doing better than I would have if I only had one out there. Well, I imagine the marketing is a lot easier. Um, I'm wondering, because I've heard similar things. Um, I follow Mike Anderley in that 20 Books to 50K group. Yeah. And um, he talks about the um, increase of uh, profits per customer. Um, mm -hmm. And if you have a series, you can funnel new customers in with, by only putting money into marketing for the first book. And right. then the profits per customer increases because they're going to continue reading that series. And it, I mean, it makes pretty intuitive sense, but it's one of those things that you still have to see someone talking about to really uh, think, maybe I should go this route. Yeah. And I mean, his group, uh, that 20 books to 50 K group is probably been the most influential uh, marketing advice out there for me and for a lot of other indies. Um, but it's true with the three books, I'm really focusing on marketing the first um, because like you said, it's a funnel and it's nice when you've already when I've already got three out because I've been able to play around some with pricing on the first. Right now, I've got it really low at ninety nine cents just to try to bring people into that funnel. And if I only had one book out, I would man that ninety nine cents. I get thirty five cents every time somebody buys one of those, and that just doesn't feel worth it. But if I know that on my next two books, I'm making a few bucks every time somebody buys them, then it it feels like okay, I can kind of use this first one as a loss leader. And I'm currently writing a prequel novella that will be perma-free. And so that'll be always free. And then I'll probably bump up the price of the first book to $2.99 or something. But um, that's advice I've heard over and over to have something free that you can distribute anywhere you want to get people into the series. And I didn't do that to start it out with or to start out with. Um, and I really want all three books in the series to be in Kindle Unlimited, which means I can't put any of them as free unless it's for a short-term promotion. So I figure by doing the novella, I can I can put that out through various avenues and hopefully bring in new readers that way. Do you have a newsletter? Like, would you do the, uh, the it's not Insta Freebie anymore, what is it, Prolific Works or the Book Funnel? Um, uh, yeah, I use Book Funnel. And so um, I've already brought some people into my newsletter that way just by posting like a 10% sample of my first book. But I just don't think that the... Um, the effectiveness of a sample is as good as giving people a free book. And, and even on book funnel, even the promos that I'm allowed to join, a lot of them require a full book, not a sample. And so, um, I decided to try it with the sample and I'm, I've grown my list some that way. I've gotten maybe a few hundred, a couple, maybe two or 300, you know, more subscribers than I had before. But, um, I think having like a complete product will will be more effective and then in the complete product you could then include the first 10 percent also just to continue feeding them forward and then they that's have true. to get it right yeah that's a great idea and i've done that already with uh with my other with books one and book two i've got the first chapter of the next book in those so um so yeah i'll probably do that i'll probably you know include the first chapter of book one at the end of the novella I've been really fascinated with um, the indie market for a while now because I, I've started writing after I got out of undergrad and I moved out to Montana and all mm -hmm. I could really do out there is hike and write books. Um, <laughs> Montana's <and> beautiful. <laughs> Montana is gorgeous. Um, 
something about living in the mountains, looking outside and just seeing mountains and wilderness really does just, uh, it makes you happy. I'm very fascinated by indies because when I first started writing indies, um, I almost thought it was like diet traditional, um, almost along the lines of uh, we have to operate by the same rules, otherwise uh, we won't find our audience. But in reality, it's the more, if you're an indie, the more you try and go traditional, um, and I don't mean like go out and find an agent, I mean like the more you try and build your own brand um, through traditional means, it's almost like the more handcuffed your growth is because you don't have the money and resources that big publishing houses have. You have to use right. your nimbleness to your advantage, you have to use your brand to your advantage, and one unique um, pro that indies have that I've discovered in my research now is they're closer to the consumers than large publishers are. Now, traditionally published authors can be close to their consumers, but they don't have the same control over the publishing as indies have. Indies right. are their own publishing entity. They're also their own authors, and they have a very thin layer separating them from their consumers. So they're able yeah. to adapt in a day, whereas a traditional publisher, it could take months or even years to adapt. Mm -hmm. Have you found Yeah, I love that. And, and you can also change things so quickly. So... Like if I decided, hey, my cover isn't working and I wanted to get a new cover, I could have that loaded on Amazon within a day, you know? And um, and if I want to change, if I want to tweak my prices and I've done that, then I can just go on and tweak it. And as soon as Amazon approves it, it's done. Whereas going through a publisher, you know, you got to get approval and they may or may not do it and it's going to take forever. Um, and... Um, and if you are getting that feedback, like you said, because you've got you've got this close connection with 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 your readers, if you're getting feedback as as an indie, you can actually put that into play. Whereas with a publisher, you may or may not be able to to even make changes based on that feedback. So based on your feedback, I'm sure the feedback is part of the reason why you're writing a prequel. Do you see the Sunblessed trilogy becoming a longer series, or are you moving on to the next uh, series? I'm moving on. Um, I, I love that world, but, um, but I don't see it necessarily being something I'll continue beyond the prequel. So I just started, well, I actually just completed the first draft of what will be a prequel novella. In fact, I think it's actually going to turn into a short novel and revisions. So a, a, a freebie prequel novel for my next, um, my next series. I'm really excited about it. It's, um, the series itself will be um, kind of post-apocalyptic fantasy, but it it will it'll take place maybe one hundred to two hundred years after the apocalypse when society is rebuilding, and um, and the prequel tells the story of what happened of how that apocalypse happened, and so um, I'm I'm super excited about the prequel novella. I've got a really great team of alpha readers, about six people that have been reading and giving feedback. And um, I just learned so much through that first series. And maybe that's one of the reasons I kind of want to move on from it. I, I love what I've got out there, but now I just want to start fresh and, and say, I feel like I've gotten so many more skills through this process and I want to build a new world with those. Absolutely. You have all these, yeah, you, you built a workshop and now you want to build new things. I mean, you want to play yeah, with your toys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's it like being a writing mom? What do your kids think of the books? Like, what do they think of having a mom who writes books? Um, I, overall, I think they think, well, it depends which kid you're talking about. So I've got a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old. And the 12-year-old's at the age now where um, 
I'm not quite as cool as I was a couple of years ago. You have purple hair. So, well, I know, but you know, I'm still her mom. So, so um, she has read, um, I think she's read the first two books and never finished the third. She just yesterday picked up the first one again. So I have hopes that one day she'll complete them again. My 10 year old's definitely more of my fan, I would say. Um, and, um, you know, he'll go to school and like talk about the fact that I'm writing books. Whereas my 12 year old, like she found out that her library at her middle school might have me come in for some event or something. And I said, how would you feel about that? And she said, just don't tell anybody that you're my mom. <laughs> That's such a 12 so, year old know. answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can't take it too personally. <laughs> yeah. To, to be fair, you could be like Bill Gates. Um, and right. You could have a 12 year old and they'd be like, I don't want anyone knowing that you're Bill Gates and my mom. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, overall, my family's been really supportive, and, they, and they've given great feedback. Um, my, my kids, the stuff that they've read, they've given great feedback. Um, my husband's just a big believer in me, and um, it's funny. He hasn't actually writ, read the books. He keeps saying, you know, I want to, but he's not really a novel reader. He's more of a movie watcher, and when he does read, he's not a YA fantasy novel reader. And so I've told him, like, I genuinely am 100% fine if he never reads it because, because he just supports me in so many other ways. And he, he believes in me. And, um, and I mean, he's the one that's out there, like holding down a real job and completely supporting me, staying home, trying to make a career out of this. And so, um, I think the, the people that we love support us in different ways. And my family, I feel really supported by my family, just, you know, kind of in a variety of ways. Are you thinking about going, uh, or do you have the audiobook route? Have you gone through ACX and gotten your books out in audiobook? Yeah, I actually, I actually, uh, recorded my own. So really? I produced my own audiobooks. Yeah. And that was a, um, a huge time consuming process. Um, it's a massive learning curve to, um, uh, to record well especially like the editing um and the mastering um but yeah I recorded all three and <clears throat> let me say that again because you probably just heard my dryer in the background and I need to cough just a sec <laughs> so I recorded all three audiobooks and edited and mastered those myself and the reason that I set the dates that I set for release that was basically based on the audiobook production I decided I wanted the audiobooks ready when the books came out. Now with ACX, you can't set a release date. So the audiobooks ended up coming out before the other books because I preferred that over them coming out after. And so I just kind of padded that and made sure there was plenty of time for them to get approved and everything. And, um, and that's been really cool. You make more on audiobooks than you do on, on eBooks and, and really with the margins I've got set up, I make more on audiobooks than I make on, on paperbacks that like I'm selling through Amazon too. And so, um, so each sale is worth more. The audiobook market is just Booming. a really quickly growing market. And I think it's exciting to get into it right now when a lot of indies are not in the audio market. And so it's just a smaller market and I'm still a little fish in a big sea, but the sea isn't quite as big in audio as it is. It, it's drastically smaller in audio than it is on Amazon for eBooks. So, um, so that's been cool. And I just had my first earnings report come out. And um, I think f at least at the beginning, that's going to be a pretty good percentage of my earnings. Um, part of that's because when you, 
when you publish through ACX, and Audible sends you free codes to give people. And when they download your books, you still get paid for them, which is awesome. So they're getting it for free and Audible still pays for it. And it's a, it's a nice way to start to build up some reviews and start to build up a listenership. Um, I wouldn't recommend that most fiction authors record their own books, but my degree is in theater. My background is theater and speech. And so that just felt like a really natural route for me to take. And for me, it's just another creative effort that uses a different side of my creativity than writing does. So it's been a really cool, fun process. Well, Neil Gaiman also records his own audiobooks too. So now you have him for company. That's right. Yeah. We, we hang out and talk all the time. (laughs) Not not a bad partner in crime. I I had to, uh, I had to go the audiobook route because um, my biggest fan is my older brother and he loves audiobooks and so he's always so excited when he sees my books are available for audio he's always the first one to download it listen to it because he listens to audiobooks on like 2x or 1.5x give me feedback immediately (laughs) always writes glowing reviews I love him for it it's fantastic but no I love audiobooks and I also feel like not saying that it's not real publishing if you don't do it but it does give you more of a sense of legitimacy when you have it in all mediums when you have it in digital physical and audio um, you're just more inclusive and everyone then can enjoy your book no matter how they like uh, digesting the material. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I've made a lot of book buying decisions based on whether or not there's also an audiobook. I'm, I really love um, Amazon Whisper Sync, you know, where you can sync between your Kindle and, um, and the Audible version. And so I've consumed a lot of books that way by going back and forth between reading and listening and you're right it gives it some legitimacy having it in those various formats I think it gives it legitimacy and um you just look like you know what you're doing (laughs) whether or not you do when you it's it's kind of the same as like have a professional cover out there I mean I've read some books with professional looking covers that didn't end up being very good books but the cover did get me to click right and so obviously you need a good book. And if you're going to do an audiobook, you need a good audiobook. But the way you get people in is by what they see. And part of what they're seeing is, How wow, many? you've got ebook, paperback, and audiobook. That looks just like this person that's published by Random House, you know? Yeah. It, well, it, for one, maybe it's, maybe the sense of legitimacy that I meant was like, for one, it makes it seem like you put more work into your craft. Even if you just hired someone for a 50-50 royalty share, it does at least show that you went the extra distance of just Googling what to do next with your book. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it, it also, yeah, it, it shows, as you said, it shows at the very least you're doing everything that the larger publishing houses are doing. Right. So who did, Yeah, definitely. Who did your book covers? Because for one, I love the trilogy name. I think it's a very... Oh, thanks. I think it's a very fitting and powerful YA name, I mean, doesn't get more powerful than the sun. Blessed right. is a good verb. And I like the covers a lot. Um, who, who, Where did you get those done? Thanks. Those are done by Mariah Sinclair, who's a fantastic cover designer. She also, um, she does, she does um, custom covers, which is what those were. She also does some really amazing pre-mades. In fact, I just purchased a set of three pre-mades from her that I'm using for my next series because they just fit really well. And I'm super excited about them. I haven't released those publicly yet, but they're really, really cool covers. So um, she does a great job. And um, 
so you did the next series that's the why post apocalypse okay uh where do you and do you do all your own banners do you do everything like your own marketing and take it you run all your social media you have the banner set up with all of the book covers like, do you do this on canva i think that's a pretty popular one actually i use a mac program called um pixelmator that's just a really um it's it's pretty robust it doesn't quite do everything that photoshop does but it does most of it and it's really affordable so that's what i do um if I need like background images and stuff um, or images for Facebook ads or whatever, I use deposit photos. Um, they, they've got these great deals a couple times a year where you can get a hundred photo credits for 50 bucks and then you're safe because you're buying, you know, legal stock photos and you're not getting into any trouble from that. So, um, so yeah, I do all that myself and I, I like that. I think a lot of, authors, you know, we've got other creative sides and it's kind of fun to do stuff like that. But I would love to get to the point eventually that I can maybe hire a virtual assistant to start taking some of that over for me. Yeah. I mean, the more that we can focus on just writing, the better it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then speaking of that, I'm curious. So obviously you're running all of your own marketing. You're, uh, you're not doing your covers, but you're, uh, you're running all of your social media as well. You're sort of playing around with ads what does that leave you for time for writing? What's your uh, daily writing schedule like? Uh, do you have a word count goal, a set amount of hours written off? Well, I just finished NaNoWriMo. So I had, you know, um, some pretty, pretty good word count goals for that. Um, I'm still trying to figure that out because this is just really recently that I've started writing again after releasing my books. And so um, I haven't quite figured out how to balance all of that yet. I'm still trying to write at least, you know, pretty much every weekday. I used to write seven days a week, and, um, and I'm trying to take more weekend time off now because I do have a family, and I don't want to forget about them. But um, um, for me, setting goals is really helpful. So now that I've met my nano goal, like I need to figure out what my December goal is going to be. Um, Usually what I did with the first series was I kind of got into a routine where I would set an editing date with my editor, with my copy editor. And that would, that would help me set other goal dates because I've got a really organized system like with beta readers. And so it would be like, okay, I have to finish my first draft by this date so that I can have this much time to do my own revisions so that I can give it to my beta readers and they can have three or four weeks to read it. And then I need a few more days to make more revisions and then I need to get it to my editor. So I think what I need to do next is maybe, maybe get my editor set up to edit um, this novella that I just wrote. And it's, I need to do something where I've got some dates set up because I'm super goal oriented and when I've got those dates set up, I'll almost always make that happen. And um, I think at this point, I need to be prioritizing writing and fitting in the marketing rather than prioritizing marketing and fitting in the writing. Because what's going to help me the most long term is to have more books out. 100%. I mean, as we said before, you're, you're a business. And the best thing you can do as a business is have product for the market. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just curious now, since, uh, since you obviously rapid released these, um, you, and you had them all written and edited beforehand, uh, how, how long was that process? How per book, um, 
the rough draft process, the editing process, I take it these were pretty well, since it's a trilogy, these were pretty well outlined, right? Yeah, well, and I was learning to outline as I went, too. So um, it's, you know, I started in April of 2017, late April, just with writing some um, uh, some brainstorming. I was still working about 30 hours a week at the time. And I think I wrote the first rough draft in a little less than three months. I got somewhat faster by the third book, but by then, by the time I was drafting most of the third book, I was staying home and doing that full time. So I was faster there. Um, so I, I started releasing the trilogy almost exactly 18 months after I'd started writing it. But that includes all of the writing and editing and the audiobooks, which took about a month each to do. So, um, so I guess it took me, a, that comes down to about six months per book, but that includes audiobooks. Um, and again, for quite a bit of that time, I was also working. So I haven't figured out if I'm going to be faster now or if I'm just going to be at the same pace because I'm also trying to fit marketing in, you know? Yeah, because you're still putting in the same hours of work. It's, it, you have to now divide it between different things. Instead of going to an office, right. you're working on different parts of the book marketing. Right. And really for the first like year plus, um, I literally didn't take even one day off from working on my books for over a year. And I finally, I finally was like, okay, I have to take a day off. <laughs> and I did. I think it was um, the day after I got book three to my beta readers that I took a day off. And um, as much as, as fun as that was, and as much as I love to throw myself passionately into things like that, I don't feel like that's the best for my own mental health and for my family, for me to be, like I said, I was working at the time and I was just pretty much spending like all my free time working on these books. And so even though I don't have this other job that I had before, it's important to me to have more life balance than I had for that year. That's just not sustainable long-term. And so, um, so yeah, that's part of it too. Like my kids, I, I'm trying to do most of my writing while my kids are at school. And when they come home, it's easier to sit and like do some, some marketing stuff and be on Twitter and whatever. But, um, but it's nice to have that time when they're at school to be focused on writing. And I just know when I'm in the middle of writing, it's really hard to interrupt me and get my attention. And so I'm trying to kind of like bump that to the time when I don't have kids around who need me. So I'm, I'm just still trying to figure all that out. And I guess as far as then the, so that's your writing. And then what about editing? What's the process for you with editing? So, um, I do, I only do one round of professional editing, but like I said, I have a really robust beta reader system. And so, and this is all, all kind of always changing, but what I'm doing right now is, um, I've got this Facebook group where I've got a few alpha readers who don't mind reading stuff that's basically first draft. Like I've written it, I've read through it once and made some changes and that's it. And um, so with this novella that I just finished, I sent them, I would send them a quarter of it at a time, which was like four chapters at a time. And they, they would start reading it and we'd get into conversations on this Facebook group and they'd say things like, hey, like this one character, I'm not feeling like there's any depth here. And so I go, okay, this is something I need to address in revision. Some of it I would even address immediately when I felt like I needed to. 
And, um, and so those alpha readers, this is the first book that I feel like I've had a really good system for, they're basically critique partners who are helping me as I'm writing. And that's been really helpful. And then, um, once I finish kind of the big first draft, I go through and I have a specific, um, process for doing my own revisions. So I'll take a chapter and I read it through and do pretty intensive revisions on that chapter. And then I put it through pro writing aid to do some, um, some like grammar and style filtering and, and make some changes on things I might not have caught. And then I listen to it. I have my computer read it to me, which is really boring, but catches some more stuff. And then I move on to the next chapter. And if I'm doing bigger revisions, like with this next, with this book, that I just finished, I think I'm, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to lengthen it to short novel length instead of novella. So I'm going to have to do all that at the same time. And then when all that's done, um, I get it to my beta readers. And I think with the first series, with every book, I had like 10 to 17 beta readers who actually came through and gave me, uh, gave me feedback. And some of them are more big picture people who um, are going to say more about the plot. Some of them are like, really sharp-eyed grammar people and they catch things where I've missed words or whatever. And so I usually try to give them a month on a book and I've got a, um, sorry, this is getting into a lot of detail, but, um, but it's a big system I've put together. So I've got, I've got a survey that they fill out to tell me, ask, answer specific questions about the book. And then once, as that beta reader feedback starts coming in, I start revising and I give myself a little bit of time to revise. And then I get it to my copy editor and she, she does a copy edit, but she also does what she and I call a light developmental edit where she'll, she'll comment on like the characters and the plot, nothing huge. It's not by that time, like I've got it structured where I want it to be, but, um, but she does point out more than just grammar and, and word choice. Um, she goes into a little bit more depth than that. And after that, I go through her stuff and um, make, you know, whatever changes I want to make based on what she's, what feedback she's gotten to me. And the cool thing is, since I did do my own audiobooks, is that ended up being almost like a proofreading, an extra round of proofreading, because reading my own book out loud, I catch things that nobody else caught. And so I'm always making a few changes as I'm doing the recording too. Yeah, no, I mean, that's actually pretty fascinating. I, I have that, um, what's it called? The software, uh, natural Pro reader 14 for Oh yeah. Free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, I have my computer read stuff back to me too. It's very helpful. It, the, it, honestly, I think the monotone robotic voice is fantastic because you can just hear structure. I mean, if something stands out, like if something just does not belong in a sentence, you, you pick it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll start to hear where, like, you've used the same word twice in a paragraph, and it's a word that you really didn't want to use twice in a row, you know? Yeah, stuff like that you and pick up. How did you build this web of uh, alpha readers and beta readers? Um, so when I first started writing, I just have a – I was already active on so social media, uh, primarily Facebook at the time. I'm super into Twitter right now, but I wasn't then. And so um, I started building a Facebook author page and also a newsletter as I was writing my first book. And, um, and I basically used those to bring in my first round of beta readers. Um, that means that most of, uh, really, I guess all of my first beta readers were people I already knew. And some people say, oh, don't go with friends and family. But my thing 
whether you're writing or selling books is you start with what you start with what you've got. And I had friends and family. And so that was who was giving me feedback on the books. And then as I started to connect with more authors through Facebook groups and then through Twitter, some of them have come in and started um, giving me, you know, beta feedback and things like that. But um, yeah, I just started with what I had. And, and I, I think with beta reading, if you can um, treat it almost like, so I made it clear to my beta readers from the beginning that it's a privilege to beta read. So like they had to fill out an application to be a beta reader. And I'll tell you, every person who filled out that application, I let them beta read. Maybe one day I'll have hundreds of people who want to beta read and I'll have to actually choose. But just filling out the application was them saying, I take this seriously enough to fill out an application, right? And um, and it, it was just an online form that I put together. I got some ideas from Michael J. Sullivan, who's probably my favorite indie author, and he has a really great beta reading system. And um, and then I would give them deadlines and say, like, I need your feedback by this day. Like I said, I had another form for them to fill out with feedback. And then I would just keep in touch with them. So every week or so during like that four-week beta reading period, I would email all of them. So I had them on an email list and I would email them and remind them. And I think when you treat beta reading kind of like a job and as a privilege, most people come through and there's always some who don't and that's okay. There's some who just don't get around to reading it or whatever, but most of them come through. Um, and so um, as I build up more of an audience, I've been able to bring on um, some ARC readers and like one of them has turned into one of my alpha readers, people who I didn't know. And that's really helpful because I think sometimes you get more, um, more objective advice from people you don't know. 100%. I mean, they're, they're only judging you for your product, not anything else. Right. Exactly. Um, I'm curious how big your network is right now. Cause you said you started with uh, friends and family and now you have all these objective ones, pretty much anyone who fills out the form at this point in time, you'll let beta read. How, how, how large is your network? Well, I, I haven't put together like another beta reader list since my third um, book. So I'm not really sure. I, um, I mean, after beta reading, you go to, you go with arc readers. Right. And so I ended up, let me think with the first book, I probably ended up with about maybe like a little less than 20 ARC reviews, like ARC reviewers that actually came through and reviewed for me. And really maybe only like a quarter of those were people I didn't know. So just a few, but, um, but these are the things that you build up slowly, you know? Um, and, um, and some of them might have been people that, like, I didn't know at the beginning of the process, but by then I knew them. I mean, Twitter has been a great place for me to connect with other writers, and some of them have ended up being ARC readers or ARC listeners for me, you know, with my audiobooks. Right. So, um, so yeah, I, I think, like, what I have found, and this differs with everybody, what I found is that because I have, like, a good um, – sort of personal sphere of influence. I just, I just know a lot of people on, on Facebook and in real life and everything, getting those people to read my books has not been that hard. And I've gotten, I've just gotten a lot of support from people who care about me. And I think 
even though that can mess up your also bots, people say, and all of that, that's been a good start. I mean, if you're selling books, it gives you money to go do more things, right? To, to go put more money into marketing and stuff. And so if you've got a sphere of influence of people who know you and care about you, I say, go ahead and ask them to buy your books, but it can't stop there. And so those are never going to, the people who just happen to like me, but don't normally read YA fantasy, but they'll read it because it's mine. Those are never going to be my, that, that cannot be my base of my, of, of my customer, my customer base. You know, um, I need to build up a customer base of people who don't know me and that's happening, but that's a slow process. That that's what I found is really challenging because, um, it's just, there's so many books out there and getting your own books to stand out. Um, is hard, but I, I heard somebody told me the other day that Joanna Penn says it takes about, I don't remember, I think about 10 books to like really build up that readership. And that was actually really encouraging to me to go, okay, I'm building up a little readership now, but in a few years when I've got 10 books, then it's probably going to be a decent sized readership by then. And I just have to kind of keep plugging along. So what would you say to um, newer authors? I know it's weird to say newer since you yourself are less than two years old in this uh, field, right? Uh, April 2017, I believe you said. Yeah. Uh, so as far as they might only think about the writing, how, how would you tell them to handle the, uh, maybe if they're feeling a little overwhelmed with this infrastructure you laid out for finding beta sure. readers and alpha readers? Yeah, I think you just start with one thing at a time. So like, or two things maybe. Like I said, I started with like, putting together a Facebook page, which is really easy. And I, and putting together a newsletter and that, you know, I asked people, I asked my friends on Facebook to sign up for my newsletter. And so you start with just one or two things at a time. Um, for me, it helped to share little snippets of what I was writing. I, I'd use my phone, I'd use some cheesy little photo app in my phone to put together like a, a visual, you know, that had a quote from what I was writing and I would share those. And that was kind of my marketing when I started out was sharing those quotes and occasionally emailing my list and posting stuff. And um, I think it's um, the, the smarter artist guys, the um, Sterling and Stone guys who are great with, uh, with all the self-publishing stuff. They, they have a term and I'm not going to remember what the term is, but it's basically like only learn what you need to know right now. And so start pulling information in, like join 20 books to 50K and just start reading those posts. Get on writer Twitter and see what other writers are saying. Start, start to get to know writers and get to know what they're doing. But most of it, don't even try to retain it. Just kind of read it and let it kind of like go in there. And if it goes in one ear and out the other, that's fine. But at some point you're going to go, I saw somebody say something about beta readers and you're going to remember and you can go back and like find that and you're going to learn it when you need it. But there, you don't need to learn all of it at once. I mean, I don't need to know right now how to keep in touch with my 10,000 best readers because I don't have 10,000 readers. And so I'll learn that as I get there. Right. But um, before you write a book, you don't need to know exactly how to market it just start doing something so that people kind of know that you're writing and then you'll learn the next step when you get there. Hey listeners, this concludes another episode of the follow the hummingbird podcast. If you aren't already subscribed to our podcast, please find us on your favorite channel. We're available on Apple podcasts, anchor breaker, Castbox, Google podcasts, overcast, pocket casts, radio public, Spotify, and stitcher.